Welcome to the latest Experts in the Field podcast from Foot Anstead's Farms, Estates and Rural Land Team. With guest speakers and in-house experts, we'll provide insights into rural developments and current affairs. I'm Edward Venmore and I head up the Farms, Estates and Rural Land Team at Foot Anstead. This week we're joined by two colleagues, John Catchpole from our real estate team who regularly deals with landowner development and infrastructure projects and Becky Biscoe. Becky works in our real estate litigation team. Like me, Becky deals with property disputes but more importantly works alongside our transactional teams and other professionals in offering strategic advice on development projects and how to avoid disputes arising. The topic we're looking at today is development land and how a landowner can make sure that their land is as marketable as possible. Land is obviously a scarce resource in the UK. We need it for food production, development, renewables projects and housing. On top of that, there's the growing challenge of managing that land to achieve environmental targets, a rightly urgent and growing focus for us all. So rural landowners have a lot of opportunity, but as a landowner, how do you know whether your land has development potential and what do you do about it? Becky and John, welcome. Thanks very much for your time today. Thanks, Edward. Hi. So to kick things off, perhaps you start by talking about what are the key things to think about when assessing whether you have land which has development potential. John, perhaps come to you first. Yeah, sure. Yeah, thanks, Edward. As you mentioned in the intro, development is quite broad. You could have a lot of people think of housing developments, you have commercial developments or renewables developments, different types of developments, and they will have different requirements. But even before you get into sort of the detailed legal bits or planning policy, absolute fundamentals of building anything are, can you access the piece of land? How big is the piece of land? Would you be able to get services like gas, water, electricity to it? Is it is the land sort of flat enough to build something on or is it on a steep slope? So those are sort of basic fundamentals which you can consider. And if you've got a piece of land that's on a you know, not on the side of a mountain and it's it's got access and it's got some some services nearby that you can tap into then that's probably a good a good starting point and then you can start to consider next steps from there. Becky in our world you and I come across issues where there's some third party occupiers on the land which you need to bear in mind. Definitely particularly in the rural sphere there's obviously a lot of statutory overlay when it comes to how you're able to deal with tenants depending on how long they've been there and John said we're talking about quite a diverse range of land interests as well many many landowners are having to deal with residential tenants commercial tenants and they all have their own different little quirks in terms of how best or what you can feasibly do to perhaps terminate their rights to occupy so that you can move on and develop your land those things are worth factoring in there often not insurmountable there's usually a way around it so again don't assume that because you have a tenant in occupation that your land isn't one day going to be able to be developed it certainly can still be marketable it's just something else we need to bear in mind as part of your plan yeah absolutely we'll probably come back to that a little bit later in the in in the conversation john if you think there's land which has development opportunity what do you do what are the first steps the landowner should take if they're approaching a possible project from fresh yeah, sure. I think the first thing to do is to get some advice. You want to have a chat with a development surveyor, ideally. The development surveyors, they are surveyors who specialise in development projects. So if you have a chat with one of them, they should be able to give you a pretty good indication early doors as to whether or not there's further scope for development of the sites. And if they say there is, then you can move on and think about next steps. And if they say, no, sorry, you've got no chance on this piece of land, then not to necessarily take it any further and, and think about doing something else. 
What can a landowner do to improve the marketability of a land and what can they do to make the whole sales process and marketing process smoother? What can they do in terms of homework, do you think, John? Yes, one of those things a landowner can do as much or as little as they want, depending on their budget. But the more you can do early on, the f- hopefully the fewer issues there may be later on and it might streamline the sale or development process. So you could treat it, if you're going to really go for it, you could treat it a bit like as if you were put yourself in the shoes of the developer and say, let's have a look at the title to the land. So let's have a think about whether it's registered or unregistered and let's have a look at it and try and pick out any restrictive covenants or third party rights over the land that could be problematic, overage, um, that sort of thing. You can do some searches if you want. So you could do a local authority search and have a think about what planning permissions may have affected the land or any public rights affecting the land and also just having a think about whether what you've done with the land and whether there could be anything there that could cause problems like you may have stored some vehicles you could think about contamination from oil or things like that so the more you put yourself in the shoes of a developer and think about the things that may may be of concern to them and if certain things do come to light through that process like restrictive covenants which perhaps Becky can mention in a minute we can have a think about how we resolve those issues to streamline the development process. Yeah I always think the ones we come across it's projects which are best run are those where the um, where there has been proper due diligence done on the seller's side before really they go to market because you can anticipate and spot the problems which yeah, whichever developer you're negotiating with is going to pick up in their own inquiries. And if you can get ahead of those, you can save a lot of time, hassle and, uh, and stress that as the project goes through. Becky, is there anything you want to perhaps pick up on the restrictive covenant point that, uh, that John mentioned? Yeah, absolutely. In terms of, we do see an awful lot of restrictive covenants come up on, um, in development appraisals when we're looking at title issues for, for clients. And um, those, quite often, it's impossible for us to find out who's got the benefit of the covenants or anything like that. They can be relatively easily dealt with insurance and things like that. In circumstances where they are a bit more difficult, then there might be some other, other groundwork that, you, that we might need to do in perhaps working out whether those covenants are actually, that they're actually still valid or not, whether they're still binding. There's all sorts of technical arguments that sit with restrictive covenants, as I'm sure most people would appreciate. And there's often lots of loopholes that we can, we can make the most of to try and re- resolve those problems early. That worst case scenario is, is, is there's potentially some a, a dispute that arises or that you're potentially looking to, somebody's looking to pay off the person that's got the benefit of the covenant. But not a lot of those actually come to that in the end. So there's not uh, most of the work that, that Edward and I are doing on that is, is advising on loopholes and how to get around them rather than actually trying to, trying to get these things cleared off through any other means. So, yeah, there's lots, uh, lots of ways around them. John, I mean, you've already touched on this slightly, but perhaps you can elaborate a bit further. If you're a landowner looking at a project like this, what sort of group of professionals do you think you need to get together to help get the project off the ground? Yeah, I think, uh, as I mentioned before, speaking to a development uh, surveyor early on would be really helpful and uh, they'd be able to give you a steer. If you, want to, if you want to really add value to the land, you can think about speaking to a planning consultant and the planning consultant can give you a steer on planning strategy. So they may advise you to put in a pre-application for developments, which would give you, which is just like a, it's a bit like an informal application to the local planning authority and they can give you a steer as to whether or not what you've got in mind is plausible. It's not a, it's not a full grant of planning permission. 
and the planning consultant may say actually there's a good chance here but um, you could add a load of value to the land if you incur the cost and the effort of getting a planning consent yourself it, it won't work for everyone because not everyone would necessarily have the have the budget and you won't necessarily know what a potential developer who might be interested in buying the land wants to do with it but that's part of you know, getting the advice and speaking to a planning consultant and they can give you an idea on strategy and the best way to approach it um, and then of course there's the solicitors so we can have a look at the title side of things for you and look at the covenants access rights uh, mines and minerals reservations which pop up and cause uh, regularly cause issues and then the solicitors can give you a, a steer on how those how those issues might be able to you, know, you can mitigate them and by looking at them early on at least knowing what you're dealing with you can factor that into negotiations with a developer with a purchaser to avoid you know, potential price chips later in the day when a deal is done and then these issues come to light through the developer's due diligence process. Yeah. The only other one I'd add to this there is the accountants as well. Obviously yes, through yeah, the tax and the potential tax implications of what you're doing, etc. as part of a long term plan. So as the other one we increasingly see with in relation to yeah, the farming clients we're dealing with is obviously if you've got changing subsidy regimes and changing opportunities in terms of environmental schemes over the next over the next few years obviously you need to weigh up all the various opportunities and work out what's best for you and your land. Becky, I think perhaps the most useful part of this conversation in some ways in terms of getting ahead of problems is, can you think of a couple of examples where you've seen problems come up and more, more importantly perhaps how they could have been avoided as being a significant issue in projects you've dealt with? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's probably worth adding as kind of preemptor to that, that we've talked a lot about due diligence that the landowner might do themselves if they're minded to do it. But a lot of the things that, that I tend to look at, I obviously deal with a lot, of, a lot of clients who've taken that initiative upon themselves, but there's also the option for, for clients to, to consider partnering with a promoter or someone else like that to do a lot of that for you. So there's an extra layer there of, the layer there of negotiation and another set of agreements that, that you've got as part of that to allow the promoter to then go want to do all that kind of due diligence to help you market the land so again don't if if it's not something that you were particularly minded to do yourself there are other options for getting other partners involved to, to bring land to market but one of the things I do see sometimes issues arising out of out of those, but mostly that's when the parties have put the agreements in the drawer and have carried on and not paid that much mind to them as they've gone along. That that would be some strong takeaway if, if that is an option. Is just if you've got those agreements, keep them in mind and and don't just yeah, don't put them in the drawer and and wait until the point where you're looking to actually sell. Um, and in terms of the sort of due diligence aspects that we've talked about, I think the point that, that Edward raised around tenants that you mentioned earlier, they can, if they're not factored in at an early stage, given the quite a long lead in time that there often is for, for terminating rights to occupy, um, that they can be quite, quite difficult. And I think where we we have sometimes seen um, that people have assumed that that tenants will agree and that this can all be dealt with by agreement. We're not going to need to follow a statutory process because everybody's aligned. But then at the last moment, we're looking at people potentially looking to sell with vacant possession and the tenant's still in occupation and they're not doing what they said they were going to do initially. It's it's quite, it just brings back together the main um, importance of planning and factoring um, all of those aspects into your due diligence. And where clients have gone and done uh, all of the things that, I've, as you've said, thought about all of these potential issues in advance, that's that they've been able to create a really a, a good strategy, which that there may well be some problems in there that have, that, that have had to be dealt with, but they know early what those problems are going to be and they can factor it in and make sure that their timescales are being met and there aren't any surprises. Now, in fact, across my desk this morning, a colleague flagged a matter for 
a landowner who's looking at a solar opportunity on his land. And uh, there was reference on the land registry records to an agricultural tenant. For many years ago, and in fact, the agricultural tenant had vacated, so there's no issue. But the query had come up about how do we tidy that up, whether we should tidy that up on the title, because we know the operator that we'll be dealing with will spot it and will ask questions. And just getting ahead of that now will save time and make it more marketable and hopefully achieve a better deal for the for the landowner. Like you say, Becky, it's where those problems crop up at the 11th hour is where they really can cause significant issues and in many ways actually then make the tenants negotiating position if you have got to deal with the tenant so much stronger because the tenant is the one then perhaps who can get their cooperation on a deal. John have you got any um, uh, an example that you can think of where you've seen things go wrong and what could have been done to avoid it? Yeah I think as has already been mentioned if you get some early advice uh, and come up with a decent strategy then you can head off any uh, or most potential issues but where I've seen things going wrong or where sometimes the landowner may have already agreed terms for a, a sale to a developer and then they get into the process of the developer doing their due diligence and things come to light. I've seen one where uh, they'd agreed terms and then the developer's lawyers found a ransom strip around the site. So a ransom strip is a piece of land that's owned by a third party which prevents access or services getting into the site. Another time I've seen a piece of land that's got access, it's got access rights over third-party land, but that access right isn't broad enough to allow access for development and use of the land as a housing development, for example. So those sorts of things cause problems. And as you say, if they come to lights late in the day, then you either abort the deal because it just can't work, or you're looking at a significant chip in the price for what the developer is willing to pay the landowner for the piece of land, which is obviously very disappointing for the landowner. Another thing that crops up occasionally, whether a restrictive covenants, Becky mentioned a use of indemnity insurance to, to mitigate risk. But if that's because a third party has got a restrictive covenant on your land, if you talk to the third party yourself direct, insurers are unlikely to cover the risk. So that's the sort of thing that can trip people up when they find they've got a, a third party rights over the land and they know who the beneficiary of the right is and they try and do a deal. Of course, if the person with the benefit of the right says no, you're not going to get insurance in those circumstances which can cause problems later on so those sorts of things yeah so those sorts of things can trip people up but i I think the running theme here is just making sure you're trying to cover these and getting the advice to cover these things off early on yeah absolutely john do you think perhaps of a project where you think it really that was really smooth it went right and if so what was the sort of key takeaway from that as to why that was such a smooth project hopefully you can think of one where it's really easy <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing with development it's, it is complex it takes a long time there's lots of moving parts but I think the the ones that I've worked on that, are, that have been the most sort of streamlined and gone most smoothly is where you've got a decent development surveyor uh, on board early because they, they can add a huge amount of value to, uh, to land as part of the getting prepared for a sale but also the marketing process and then doing the deal and covering off you know, getting a, a lawyer just to have a look at the title to cover off those sorts of issues and if you can deal with them early on so if you need to if you need access over third-party land getting that agreed early on those sorts of things really make the make the process smooth i think the smoothest one i've ever seen is just where it's just been a really it's been a great site right next to the road and it's they've had it in the pipeline for development for years so they've been preparing for it and uh, I suppose that's one of the things, development does take a long time. You have to be really patient with it. And if you can be patient and uh, make sure you're pulling things together in the right order and at the right time, it will come together much more smoothly. Um, Becky, perhaps I was drawing this to a conclusion. Can you think of three top tips uh, for landowners thinking about marketing land 
for development? Yeah, absolutely. I think the first one is the one that John's just mentioned about getting a good development surveyor involved early. They really can be worth their weight in gold and they will see you through the whole transaction. Um, you know, they assist, um, assist the legal team with queries and also and you deal with third parties. And they really sh- they'll be a- acting for you, looking out for your best interests. And you, you need somebody like that in in your corner that's going to be the person that, that that sees you there from start to finish. A lot of other um, professionals that you'd be involved with, just that they'll see different phases of the project. The other is really thinking about those thinking about what you know about your land if you if, if it's um, if it's been with you for a long time what you did with it you've come you've a lot more about it probably in terms of what's going to be useful to, to somebody that's looking to develop than perhaps you think you do so think about it really critically and talk about all of those things with your development surveyor we talked touched on a lot of things but i think that in addition environmental factors if you know that you've got newts badgers and bats kicking around then tell people about it and get it factored in that's how you end up with with that kind of really smooth streamlined plan that John's been alluding to that gets you to your development not quickly and not without battles there will I'm sure there will be bumps on the way for most people but with as few problems as as conceivably possible and I think probably the third would be not to, to not to be put off I think by any of these bumps that come along in the road if you've got good advice from the right professionals, it takes a lot, much like raising children, it takes a village to develop a site. You need, you need a lot of different people with a lot of different expertise to bring a site to fruition. There'll be somebody out there that can help you with a particular problem. And it's, would be, if it does turn out that the a problem means that your site is, is not going to come to fruition, it might be that it's, it's just not its time now and then in a few years you'll be able to do it. If that is yeah. the case, then you can think about possibly protecting your interests and things like that and future-proofing it if it's just not your time and maybe it's something that someone else is going to take the benefit of in the future. There's still value that you can probably extract. Yeah, let's all hope it's easier than bringing up children, definitely. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) John, have you got anything to add to that? I think, as Becky mentioned, is that these things take time. So I think having patience is the key. From the day you decide you want to, you've got a piece of land you'd like to sell for development, until the day you get some money in that, that can take years i think patience and and having that strategy in place is one of the key things and also as becky also said some sites just aren't appropriate for developments for various mm. reasons mm. and if that's the case and that's the advice you're receiving then don't force it because you don't want to be throwing good money after bad or site that's never going to come forward so you might want to think about some other uses so those are a yeah. couple of things to bear in mind Great. Becky and John, thanks so much for your time today. I will include your contact details and links to some useful information from our website in the comments box. If you found this useful, please do listen to some of our other podcasts we've done, including the one on renewables projects, which very much crosses over into some of the themes we've discussed today. And thanks again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next Foot Anstey Experts in the Field podcast. Join us next time for more insights on important rural and agricultural issues. Find out more about our podcast series at footanstey.com.